if you had an emotional attachment to every memory, we probably wouldn't be able to just exist in the way that we do now. We have peak emotional experiences that they're traumatic or actually really good, like the birth of your kid. Some of those things where you have that emotion that you can bring that back to. And there's this whole concept of change and there's this whole concept of moving people towards change is taking an emotion and attaching it to the memory. Hey everybody, my name is Josh Remini. I am the pharmacist that de-prescribes drugs by giving people health and wellness tips, tricks, hacks to moving their health from maybe not so good to vibrant. My belief system is everyone has the right to be vibrantly healthy. And when you put that word vibrant in front of it, it makes all the difference in the world. Follow along if you're ready to go beyond the pills. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Pills. My name is Hector Santhia Stavon, and I am here merely as your guide to your guide. We're here with Josh Rimini, the unpharmacist. And Josh, we're going to talk a little bit about sleep today. But for that, how are you, my man? I'm good, man. Everything's great. Everything's a little bit of curveball this day and age, but COVID's still alive since my youngest daughter just came down with it yesterday. So I'm actually pretty pretty proud. I've got some gratitude for health today because she bounced back in two days and it's amazing. Yeah, that's great to hear. I didn't know that part. And I think it all, it probably plays into this sleep and a lot of the concepts that we're talking about on this show, but why is sleep coming up so just now? We were talking before that we're recording this on March 20th, a few days after St. Patrick's Day, where people kind of choose to ignore sleep best practices. But in your opinion, why was this something that you wanted to talk about so soon? Sure. Well, one, the universe just gives you what you're supposed to have, right? I just actually got a few emails of people asking me to talk about sleep. And I'm like, well, let's just do a podcast because instead of answering questions, part of this podcast is so we can answer the many, right? And go from few to go to many. I get a lot of questions about sleep and a lot of what we're talking about is stress and longevity in this podcast. Those are like the two main common threads. And my number one priority in health is sleep over exercise, over nutrition, over anything. So I felt pretty compelled to put this in the top of the list of the podcast because I think it is so important. It's one of those things people, they know of or they'll admit to it's important but they don't really understand the impact of like really nailing sleep as it relates to longevity and living longer, better lives. I might push back on that in the sense that perhaps people are waking up, but maybe even just a few years ago, I was in a sales company and there was one organization that was a high performing organization and they called themselves Team No Sleep, right? And that was their kind of thing. And they were always working and up early and up late. And it was this point of pride. I would be curious if someone would still do that today. If someone who says that they're success driven or productivity driven because of all the things that are coming out in opposition to that. So here's the dilemma, right? Instead of making sleep like the number one priority, we wear it as a badge of honor if we don't sleep, right? Like it's some success thing. Like I don't sleep or I don't need sleep. I used to say it too. I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's the mentality of the entrepreneur, the mentality of this go-getter philosophy that we have in the Western states, right? In the States is at all costs, it's a good thing not to sleep because we think we're more productive. So we're going to demystify that today. 
to get the people that are in that mindset and hopefully changing their mind a little bit and really prioritizing sleep as something that is a really good impactful thing that they can do to actually be better performers and to get better success is all about actually nailing good quality and not just quantity sleep. Is it nature? Is it nerd? Is it a habitual thing? Like, why is it so widespread that people are walking around like zombies? You know, I imagine that's why caffeine is such a big industry, but it seems to be a widespread problem. So anything that you can point to that is prolonging this or making this problem worse? The problem is not necessarily lack of sleep or quality sleep. It's usually rooted around, well, why don't I get enough sleep? Whether it's stress or whether it's they don't have time, all those, let's just call them excuses, not reasons. Let's get down to the facts because I think when people understand the what and the why, that how becomes easier. Like it's easier for me to say to my patients, my clients, pharmacists, whatever, is like, you should prioritize sleep, right? If you say the words, it's probably going to resonate a little bit. But if you understand the why and the how, becomes a lot easier. If you understand what's going on here, the fact is 70 million people don't get enough sleep in this country. That's a lot of people, right? In fact, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, considers sleep a public health concern, but only about 43% of doctors talk to their patients about sleep. So the problem, like you said, is there is a bit of an awareness piece because it's sort of a known that we sleep and we wake up, right? You can't not sleep. Has anyone ever tried not sleeping for two days and see where their brain goes? And we'll talk a little bit about that. What I also think is important on the sleep facts here is kids are getting less and less sleep. And we know part of this is ancient wisdom or things that we've known for a very long time in health and longevity. Now science is catching up to that. And so science is really the new way to explain mysticism, right, is through science. And so 15 to 30 percent of teens get their full amount of eight to eight and a half hours of sleep. And we know when you're younger, you need more sleep, right? Babies sleep a long time. It's because they're developing. There's a lot of things that develop and get through in the sleep cycle. It's not just rest. We'll talk a little bit about that. But it literally is the single most effective way to reset the brain and the body for health. We'll probably get comments on, well, that's not me and this is that. But generally, we talk general, right? We talk enough where 80% of the time, this is probably a good thing to think about. But if I could say one thing that people would remember is getting seven to eight hours of sleep is a must-have, not a nice-to-have. And if we talk through this today, we'll probably get through that and we'll probably understand, oh yeah, I get that. I know that. That's what we're going to really talk about is by the end of this podcast, let's figure, and there'll be to-dos and things that we can do to really, we call it sleep hygiene, but we can really give people actionable items that are like, again, free or low cost that they can do to actually improve that sleep cycle. Yeah. It's interesting. It seems natural, right? To, when you're sick, oh, you should rest, you should sleep. If people understood it, but they didn't take it to the next step. For me, whenever I feel a little bit of a tickle in my throat or I sense my immune system at its battle, like I immediately go to sleep, right? Like for me, it's been my panacea and I perhaps lean on it too much, but I think that it does a lot more things than we realize, right? There's a lot more going on than us just turning off, which is what I think a lot of people think are happening when we go to sleep. 
Well, it's actually interesting because our brain actually turns up a little. Our brain waves go down. That's the point. We go from high beta to beta to alpha. These are the kind of the waking hours, right? But then we go sort of the delta wave pattern, even sometimes lower than that theta, we know what REM sleep is, we know what deep sleep is, and there's light sleep, and you can track them. We'll talk a little bit about tracking, right? We use aura rings, things like that to track sleep. But sleep is really just nature's therapist looking at the opposite of what bad sleep does, right? So, you know, if we get really good, consistent sleep, when we talk longevity, when they studied centenarians, people that live till they're over 100, one of the qualities they have is consistently good quality sleep, like over a period of time. It's not like you nail it one week and then you get to go do something else. It's like over time, if you want to live to your 100, one of the things you should really focus on is sleep. It's one of the life, five lifestyle factors that we talk about. But it's shown to improve ADHD, depression, obesity, improving cancer therapies. There's so many benefits to sleep that have been studied now. So when we talk about these things, we talk about them more in the relationship of it's not just nice that I know it, it's really been proven. The opposite, right? There's a considerable risk, increased risk in developing diseases that getting too little sleep. Increase in mortality rates increases when we don't get enough sleep. We know that now. You will live shorter lives if you don't get good sleep. Heart disease, diabetes, blood pressure, obesity, these are all things that get worse when sleep doesn't care. So we know the body is doing a lot of things when it's sleeping. Poor sleep also can increase all sorts of brain-like disorders like cognitive decline, Alzheimer's risk, mood disorders, like I said, with depression, anxiety, PTSD, all these get exacerbated when sleep is a problem. Just think about that. Like if you were in college and you did an all-nighter, right? Studying for a test. You feel horrible when you miss one day of complete sleep, right? So there's so many things going on in the body that one, we need to know what they are, but then why is it so important? So consistency matters. And so when we do that, when we get consistent, good sleep, these things actually improve. We see those times where we were in college, we did the all-nighters and maybe back-to-back or, you know, where we worked crazy schedules, right? The work schedule was 13, 15-hour days. And then we look back on that and say, oh, I can do it. I did it before. But does our body kind of lose its ability to snap back and recover in the same way? A hangover at 20 is a little lighter than a hangover at 30, you know, or 40. And is that same kind of thing happening with sleep? And are people possibly giving their body a little too much credit with regards to how much it can recover? When you think of longevity, you think of biological age. And so as we get older, our cells get older. We have less mitochondria, which means we have less energy to reinvigorate or to replenish or to rest, digest. That's when we regenerate, right? And so, and it's metabolism. It's all those things that can happen. As we get older, it's just harder to rebound, right? We just understand that. And then, yes, there is something to say as I get older, we require less sleep, but it's not so much like, oh, I can get four hours and function. Because I think that's kind of what you're saying is like, what's the minimum I can get on sleep versus what's optimal? Because it's the same thing with nutrition. When we talk about vitamin C, for example, 60 milligrams is the amount I need not to get scurvy. Well, nobody gets scurvy anymore because you can get enough vitamin C, but 60 milligrams is not optimal. It's just the amount you need to not 
die from that disease. And so optimizing your sleep is very different than what do I need for the minimum? Because that's where our brains go. I view sleep as a priority because I know that I can perform way better in the waking hours if I'm doing all the things right. I know on my or ring score because I get a sleep score every day and I look at it just about every day. If I'm at the 80 mark or above, I'm already feeling better because I already know. You can just intuitively know, you know, when you wake up and you're like, how was your sleep? You just feel alive. You feel more energetic. You feel that energy. Sleep is now like linked to risk of premature death. In other words, you die earlier just by not sleeping. So it's kind of like, would you rather smoke or not sleep right? Sitting is the new smoking, right? So there's moving and exercise and nailing sleep. We just know the science now, which is why I'm sort of more bold about what I say. Diet and exercising, right? We should exercise, but like sleep should be that third and probably the most important. It's on the hierarchy of things, right? It's kind of in that survival mechanism. There's a reason we're supposed to do that. You were talking about college kids and stuff like that. One thing also came to mind is like shift workers, right? When you work and you shift, let's say you work a week on and then you work nights the next week and then the week you have a week off, like hospital workers and things like that it wreaks havoc on them because they're never in a normal circadian rhythm, especially when they're moving back and forth. I used to work in the pharmacy. I used to fill in a lot for the overnight pharmacist and it just wrecked me. It just, you could totally tell like, it's just not good for you. So you can see now that like, hey, not sleeping well actually could be really bad for you. Like you can feel it even on a short-term basis. Another fun fact, this one's great because of pharmacy. People think there's a lot of use of sleep aids, right? You know, we've got Ambien, which is Zolpidem. You've got even the benzodiazepines like Clonopin or Xanax, those types of things where people will take to calm them down. Trazodone's another one that's more of a mood stabilizer. These are medications that people take to sleep. I was looking up the data and the facts before this podcast, and I was surprised by this. There's a one-third increase in mortality, basically a third increase in premature death in people that take sleep aids for sleep. So fun fact, if you're taking sleep medicine to get that quality sleep we're talking about, it's actually counterproductive. You're actually more liable to die quicker if you take sleep meds. I I was stunned by that. One third increase in mortality rate. That's amazing. That's huge, right? I'm not a statistician. It's freaking scary. (laughs) Well, part of it, you know, that's all cause mortality, right? There are some side effects to these drugs where people get what they call retrograde amnesia. They don't remember because it shuts down REM. It shuts down the memory zone where they'll take a sleep med. And I've had stories where people have gotten in their cars and driven somewhere and come back and didn't know it. So yes, you could probably die from that pretty easily, right? I've had people that have eaten a tub of ice cream on the floor of their kitchen, had no idea. So there's part of that that goes into that, but that's not the cause of that. That's just the contributor. So the way I look at it is let's do the things naturally that we can do to maybe reduce that because I think we're so used to taking that pill for the ill, right? I don't sleep, give me the pill. But if in short-term acute situations, probably okay. But long-term, not a good idea. I think it might be helpful because I think hopefully if people haven't realized that the sleep is, I don't want to say a problem, but sleep is a priority, then perhaps go back and listen to the first 18 minutes of this show. But I think at least for me, as I've kind of built my awareness around this, 
it's helped to know some of the processes that are going on inside my brain. I grew up as an athlete playing sports or whatever you could consider, you know, an athlete. But you would go to sleep and we'd be able to play the next day. And like, that was kind of the reason for it. I thought it was just resting your muscles. But you talked about it a little bit at the beginning that there's so much happening inside the brain and the body. Can you go into that a little bit more so people have an idea of what's actually taking place? Sure. So what's actually happening when you sleep? The old guard would just say you're sleeping, everything shuts down, right? And so we're resting, we're regenerating, things like that, stem cells awaken. But what really is happening, there's these cells in your brain called glial cells, and they awaken at night. It's basically the lymphatic system for your brain. So we don't drain and we don't get rid of all the things in our brain. There's this blood-brain barrier that we have, but our bodies have a lymph system, and that lymph system drains and gets rid of toxins. And you know, we know our kidneys and our liver and everything is we're absorbing, excreting all day long, but our brain doesn't have that capacity. There's a real good reason for that. And we don't want things to flush up to the brain and come down. So when we go to sleep, these glial cells activate and it's basically like a dishwasher. So, you know, when you put the dishwasher on like time delay and it goes and you're sleeping, it's on, right? And it's washing the dishes. So your brain is detoxing at night when you sleep. And so all the things that happen, whether it's stress, cortisol, chemical imbalances, inflammation, we all have total inflammation. There's a lot of inflammation going on. All this stuff basically happens at night when you fall asleep. So these glial cells wake up and they basically are draining out and detoxifying the brain, which is super important because we don't want anything to accumulate that's bad in the brain because it's just going to totally destroy it. This is how things happen, cognitive decline. So you can see the causality here. So when we say increase in cognitive decline, if you don't sleep well, it's because you're not detoxing and draining the system. Well, try not doing your dishes for a few days and see what happens to your kitchen. <laughs> Like it's the same kind of concept. You've got to clean regularly or, or like, can you imagine not going to the bathroom for a day or two or three, right? There's a lot of things that we're detoxifying. It's not just eliminating. There's also a muscle recovery. That's where we were athletes or we're told, like you said, when you're a kid, you go to sleep, you can play again. So the muscle recovery is happening. Bone is remodeling when you're sleeping. The pancreas is, this is why blood sugar regulation is important for sleep. So anything we talked about, like diabetes gets worse if you don't sleep, it's because the pancreas is doing really good stuff while you're sleeping. It's regenerating, it's doing the things it needs to do. So blood sugar imbalance is important. Skin repair, like we called about brain clearing. And another important piece that I think is really important when we sleep. When we have a memory, most of the time, there's an emotional attachment to that memory. So let's say you have an argument with your spouse. And the memory of the argument is attached to an emotion. And that's where we get charged. That's where we have a feeling. That's where we have these emotional charges. Well, when we sleep, there's a memory consolidation. So we consolidate everything we learn for the day. So I tell my girls, they're six and eight. I'm like, if you don't get a good night's sleep, you're not going to remember what you learned in school. So we consolidate our memories when we sleep. So it's really important for memory to get good night's sleep, but we also separate that emotion from the memory when we sleep. So think about it, it's not just getting the rest, it's like when you had that argument, you go to sleep, you remember the argument, right? But it's not as emotionally taxing. So your brain actually separates the emotion from the event, the memory, while you sleep. 
super critical component of memory, but also emotional attachment. Are we aware of the biological processes that do that? That's fascinating. Well, you know, you've heard the adage, we only use 10% of our brain, right? So there's a lot going on in our brain that we're still just learning about. There's a whole component of consciousness unlocking these default mode networks and your subconscious going to work at night. And you can go all the way down the rabbit hole of like dreams and what are they mean. It's like your subconscious talking to you about these things. There's also learning that you can do while you're sleeping. There's different layers of things that we can do to program our brains as well when we're sleeping. But for all intents and purposes, I found that fascinating when I was researching sleep a lot a couple months ago was that consolidation, but also the detachment of that emotion, which makes that super critical because if you had an emotional attachment to every memory, we probably wouldn't be able to just exist in the way that we do now. We have peak emotional experiences that they're traumatic or actually really good, like the birth of your kid. Some of those things where you have that emotion that you can bring that back to. And there's this whole concept of change and there's this whole concept of moving people towards changes, taking an emotion and attaching it to the memory because we can do that. That's why I think the dishwasher analogy is easy for me to understand is like, oh, we're cleaning up the stuff that's gone on during the day. So if we don't, again, if we don't have that sleep and we sleep in cycles, we know that. So if that's why it's like you go from light, REM, deep, and you go and go in these different phases. If you look at like Aura Ring, Whoop, or even the Apple Watch. We have sleep trackers now, Fitbits. A lot of these things can track the sleep. I think some are better than others, or I think their algorithms are better. But if we don't get enough cycles in, it's kind of like the wash cycle, we're not going to rinse as much. You can't just get two cycles in. So we need those cycles, which is why that length of quality is important. It's not just time in bed. It's the quality of that sleep and understanding that from that perspective. You've touched on it a little bit, but it's probably helpful for people to understand these different cycles or waves of sleep. You mentioned light and REM, and I think that there are a couple others. Can you talk briefly on those so just people can kind of get an idea of what else is happening? Sure. Well, my aura ring will track light sleep, REM sleep, rapid eye movement, right? We know what that is. And that's where that dream state comes in. And then deep sleep. So they're in different stages of sleep, different things are happening. And so that memory consolidation and emotional separation happens in a certain stage of sleep. The deep sleep is more of where we get some of that regenerative things going, where we're building the muscle and bone remodeling, all those things where we're regenerative. That's where we say parasympathetic state is rest and digest. When we're resting is when we can build that. But if we don't, that's where I think some of these issues with the sleep meds are concerned is there's that increase in mortality or death rates is because it is suppressing some of those deep cycles, some of those REM sleeps to where we're only getting to that light sleep. So it might increase your quantity of sleep, but the quality is being compromised, which is then basically negating all the good stuff that's going on with the sleep. A couple of things. I'm looking at mine and interesting observations when I track it. The deepest sleep comes at the end, which is really interesting. When you talk about getting seven to eight hours is kind of a must have. If I only get six, I'll notice that I will miss out on a significant amount of REM. But if I get those full eight, maybe three quarters of the REM that I get that night happens in like those last two hours. And it, it's really painful for me because, you know, most of the time I wake up before I get those two hours in. And so I'm kind of working with that a little bit now. So we've talked so much about what 
and why. What are some of the hows? How can someone start to set themselves up for a good night's sleep? Any like tips, best practices, things that you like to suggest? Yeah, for sure. Let's we'll talk a little bit about sleep hygiene is kind of the word we use is basically what's your routine. When I did this a couple months ago, I was really preparing. I've done a couple webinars on sleep is really nailing my sleep what can we do? Because that's the thing. It's like, it's one thing to say, let's just get in bed and sleep. I do want to touch on one thing really quickly, though, is because what you were talking about is you, right? The way that you generally work well is that six to eight hour range is when you're getting that really regenerative deep sleep and you feel it. You know your sleep score. It doesn't look that great. And then all of a sudden it correlates to your mood. It correlates to things. We all have our own sort of circadian rhythms of sleep and wake cycles. Some of that's dependent on genetics, and we're going to talk a lot about genetics in this podcast because wellness genetics, not just predisposed to disease genetics is what we're talking about. So you can do these sleep assessments and looking also at your genes is looking at some of those things where you can really personalize and bio-optimize that sleep. So I love the point that you said it because everyone is individual and there's assessments and we can bring some links in there to do some assessments for us, for people that are listening and might be useful for them to kind of see like, are you an early person? Are you a late person? Because we're generalizing, but the data does show anything less than six and more than nine has detrimental effects on most people. So when we're looking at that sweet spot is really that seven to eight. For some reason, the word sleep hygiene doesn't resonate with me. I don't know about you. It seems more like my tooth care for some reason. I don't understand why. But the let's just talk about our routine, right? Our nightly routine, which can also happen in the daily routine. So think of it this way. Your body wants to go to bed when it's dark, and it wants to be awake when it's light. There's a reticular activating system in our eyeballs. So as soon as the sunlight hits our eyeballs in the morning, is a really good thing because then it turns on the wake stuff. The cortisol goes up, the serotonins go up, the melatonins go down. When you think of sleep, think the opposite as well is sort of day or awakeness. And so when we're talking sleep patterns, we got to talk about what our routines are. So I'll go through some of the things I think are super useful because this is kind of where the how comes into play. And if you can come up and nail this and be consistent with it, like don't take my word for it, try this stuff out and try it with consistency for a couple weeks and see how you improve, see how your mood feels, see how you feel better. Consistency's first. Getting on the right consistent day-night sleep pattern going to bed at the same time every day and getting up even on weekends, I think is really important for people. Cause I think it's kind of like, oh, I'll sleep in and catch up with my sleep on weekends. It's not that simple. Your mind doesn't really keep track of the hours from that perspective. Consistency counts. For me, I like to wind down around nine o'clock to get to bed around 10, 1030. And my aura ring is great because it will start to take that data and sort of show you what's good for you based on how you're moving. And then I get up at 5am to do my meditations. And so that's my space of where I really try to be sleeping for that seven to eight hours. Consistency matters. We've said it before, but quality, not just quantity. So making sure we're getting that restful sleep, tracking sleep, which is important. We'll talk about tech at the end of this. 
cutting out the stimulants, you know, if you don't know your genetic predisposition to caffeine and how it affects you, I like to say just cut it out at least during the afternoon and bedtime. Just chill out is what I say. Chill out when I mean it is not your mindset, but like your temperature. Your body loves to sleep and gets a better night's sleep when it's cool. So 68 degrees or lower between 66 to 68 degrees is generally having a warmer blanket is okay, or even having a weighted blanket is also something helpful for people. Feel like the womb kind of thing. So I just say chill out to so get it 68 or below. And then another component is stay out, right? Which means you want your bedroom to be your bedroom, right? You want to be sleeping there. You don't want to be doing activities. TVs are a no-no. People say, oh, I fall asleep to the television. Just think about all of the subliminal messages you're getting from TV. It's really not good for you. It's putting you in a higher state of brain waves. It's just not good. Another trick is if people can't go to sleep, you actually should get out of bed, do some reading, do something outside of your bed instead of staying in bed and rustling and tussling. It's like getting out of bed doing some reading and then going back is actually more important. Limiting food and drink within two hours of sleeping, super important because your body's digesting that food. Alcohol, same thing. My HRV, my sleep scores, if I happen to have a drink before bedtime hours, it's off the charts worse. So eating and drinking, I just say two hours before bed. I just cut that stuff out. Screen times, super important. These are things that are easy to say, probably harder to do, right? If we limit our screen time at least an hour before bed, because all that blue light's coming from the screens, the LEDs in your house, limiting the screen time to not right before bed, which is important because, you know, a lot of people like to say, well, I like to wind down and watch TV right before bed, right? Well, that's not good for your brain. Think of how you train your brain to get down into these frequency levels, okay? What does that mean? It's where you're calming ourselves down, getting ourselves prepared for sleep. Same thing, think dark and dim. Bringing all your lights down at night. You know, when we were sitting by the fire, cavemen kind of thing, hunter-gatherers, where before we had shelter, the sun went up, we got up. We did our thing, the sun went down, we went to sleep. Well, we're still supposed to do that. So if you have all the lights on in your house, especially the LED ones, which have the blue lights, which are very stimulating to the brain, we want to shut those lights down. We want to wear blue blocker sunglasses or glasses to block out that blue light. Having that routine is really important. I've even heard some people talk about, you know, scrolling social media. And, you know, there's a lot of people who do that before bed and the problems that come along with that, right? It's that same thing as, as like TV, I would imagine whether it's the subliminal messages, the light, the change of pace. I mean, all of that, I feel like it's just revving up your brain. It literally is. I call it the death scroll, right? Because it's a scroll of death. There's no end to it, right? Well, it's putting your brain into high beta. It's putting in an excitatory space. You're getting the blue light from the screen, which is automatically telling your brain. Think of blue light as high noon for your brain. So if you're looking at a screen at night, your brain is firing messages at you saying, guess what? It's still noon out. You should be awake. That's not what you want. And then, of course, there's all the emotional components of social media that are not regenerative at all. It's like we're not listening to music. We're not relaxing. That's a big one for me is meditation, sound, anything that's relaxing is something I generally do every night. I generally end my night with like a little bit of reading. Now, this is calm reading. This isn't like cerebral 
growth work, something I have to think about, learning, learning, reading. This is relaxing reading, things that you're just relaxing your brain, using very low light, even candlelight. Candlelight, it's not stimulating to the brain. So throw on some candles, read a book. I put on meditative sound music, or I listen to a guided meditation, and then I drift off into my sleep. That's kind of generally the way I look at it. Yeah, those are just great routines to have. And a lot of people have morning routines. I know I've spent years crafting and honing my morning routine and don't have an evening routine, don't have a night routine. I mean, generally try and do some of these things, but not the way that I approach you know, my morning. Is there any other best practices, if you will, or anything when it comes to your sleep practices before we kind of get into some of the tech? Yeah, I think one thing that's probably worthwhile mention is supplements, like things that people take to help them sleep because I'd rather not get to the sedative hypnotic medications, right? We already understood that that's really not great for you long-term. But, you know, melatonin's out there. There's always the, you've got the plus and the minus category with melatonin. Melatonin is a naturally deriving substance. We make it in our bodies. It's really useful for jet lag, for that day-night worker type thing where you run resetting the body's circadian rhythm to that sleep. That's where it has the most benefit to. Melatonin's a little bit like a hormone too, because it's got a lot of other properties to it that are helpful for the immune function and stuff like that. I think it's super safe. Even in children, like it's been studied to a half a milligram all the way up to six milligrams. I've used up to 10 milligrams. The only thing I think of with melatonin is if you're making enough melatonin, it's probably not going to be as beneficial for you. The easy way to know if there's too much melatonin on board is if you take it as a supplement and your dreams get really vivid, like vivid, vivid dreams, like, oh my God, that just happened dreams. It's a shift, right? You just normal dreams, whatever. And then you start taking melatonin, your dreams become really vivid. That means there's probably too much melatonin on board, which you probably could shift to something else. Magnesium is my number one. I actually use a topical magnesium and put it on the bottoms of my feet. And I also take an oral magnesium. I use glycinate. It's a really nice absorbable form of magnesium. Really helps calm the neurotransmitter balance up. Really good super important. It's 80% deficient in everybody. So I love magnesium at night. Just don't use magnesium citrate, those types of magnesium oxide. Those are cheaper forms of magnesium, but they're more stimulating to the gut. They're less absorbed. You don't want to have a bowel movement when you're sleeping. So take the absorbable good stuff. I like glycinate. If anyone wants to ping me on Facebook or something, I can send them recommendations for that. I like some of the herbals. I've used CBD as well, which is the non-psychoactive component of the hemp plant, not the marijuana plant. I'm very popular these days, but CBD is really good for sleep. I use it quite a bit in a lot of my clients. I've used it myself. 5-HTP, which is the precursor to the serotonin melatonin pathway. So it's kind of like feeding the pathway up front. That can be sedating, but also helpful for people to get into that sleep cycle rather than just shooting it up right with melatonin. And then, of course, there's the herbals, things like passion flower and all those types of things. They're pretty good and they're safe. They're more calming. Some people use them in teas. I think that's a really good thing as well, those herbal teas. And then the one supplement I've used quite a bit for myself because I don't have a problem getting to sleep. I think we didn't talk about this yet, but there's some people that have issues falling asleep. The mind is racing. There's people that have trouble staying asleep. That's me. Like my brain will turn on, the cortisol starts working, and then all of a sudden I can't get back to sleep. 
So what I've used in the past is a supplement called L-theanine, which is a derivative of green tea, but it's non-stimulating. I call it nature's Xanax, so it's nature's calming. But what it does is it gets the brain back into the alpha brain waves. So let's say you woke up and you're in this high beta, I'm awake, I can't get back to sleep, I'm tossing and turning, you take L-theanine, and it brings the brain waves down into that alpha, restful, calm state, and then it allows you to get back into your sleep patterns. So I've used that quite a bit. I use it for anxiety for people that don't want a pharmacological thing, giving them side effects, but it's really good for those people that have trouble falling back to sleep. The people that have trouble falling asleep I think magnesium's great. I think doing the meditative approach, like calming breath work, just something simple that's just going to get their mind calm and restful is probably really good using that sleep aid up front or even prior to, so an hour or two before bed can really help move that thing in. But that's really more rhythm for me. It's rhythm. Like if you get in and you, like you said, you have your morning routine. I call it my power hours, like my morning hour, first thing when I wake up, and my evening hour are both centered around the two things that are really important for me. So I put those on my bookends of my self-care. And I think if you can do that a little bit of getting into that sleep, like we've discussed a lot of these things, use them for your tools and then check them off. Did I do this? Did I get rid of screen time two hours before bed? Did I not eat or drink anything? Check these check boxes and see if you can track them with consistency. Obviously, I think it's really important. We'll get into this now. It's the tech. What are the things we can do that are maybe some tips, tricks, hacks, those types of things? Yeah, it's so cool how available it is, right? I remember years ago, they had an app. I think it was called Sleep Cycle. I think it's still around. But you used to have to put it on your bed and it would measure how much you moved on the bed. But then I had a dog that was with me and then uh, my wife and I moved in and that went out the door because everybody's just moving all over. But now, you know, I use a, a whoop band. You talked about your aura ring. They're things that are easy and unobtrusive and they can just give you that data that is really, really important. Well, data is a new currency, people. So if we utilize the right data and we're talking about optimizing health what you track and measure will improve even if my sleep scores off i'm still tracking it and measuring it like what happened what tag like you can even put tags in there right you can tag oh i exercise a little bit later in the night or something like that i think the wearable tech aura ring is my favorite i use it in my programs whoop band is good i just don't like the extra thing on my wrist i think the ring is easier for me i like the algorithms that these folks are using to to not just give you what your score is today or yesterday it's really an aggregate so it's like taking all that stuff in and bringing it to you but you've got fitbits you've got apple watches we, like you said it's so accessible to us now if the tech companies are giving it to you there's a reason behind it, not because they can make money, but because it is important. We're talking about this, monitoring and measuring your sleep on a regular basis with consistency is really going to give you that type of thing. Other stuff, we mentioned blue blocking glasses. I wear them consistently during the day. I don't have a prescription per se, but I wear blue blockers. There's plenty of different ones out there. Is just filtering out that blue light coming from your screen. So not just during the day, there are even some that mimic the whole day cycle. So when the day, when the, when dusk happens, you put on a different glasses, it mimics getting down into dusk. So 
I like blue blockers. I use a red light bulb in my bedroom. My wife calls it the vampire bulb because it looks like vampires are in there, right? It's just red light, which blocks out the blue and green frequency colors. So it's not stimulating. You can have light. We have an LED one. It's a flicker-free one. There's even LED filters on your lights now. Wi-Fi timers, super important. Like I said, there's breath work. There's apps for now, breath work and meditation. My mentor, I will actually look it up because he just released a breathwork app that I just downloaded. It's going to be really awesome. I'm looking forward to it. It's called the Breath Source. So now we have breathwork apps. We all know about our meditation apps like Calm and Headspace, Insight Timer, those things people can use. Sleep music. Everybody's got Spotify or Apple Music now. You can look up sleep frequency music. I've used some things by Barry Goldstein. He's someone that does a lot of Joe Dispenza's work and music. So I got to see him once and I've used some of his stuff. Journal, that's an easy free one, right? All you need is a piece of paper or a journal. For people that have trouble falling asleep, especially, you do a brain dump of the things that are on your mind. What is your activities? What are the things you need to do tomorrow? If you put that in your journal and you just journal all the stuff that's in your brain, it literally is a great exercise for your conscious and subconscious brain to dump out what's in your mind. So I think journaling at night is really important. I've used it with a lot of success myself. Here's a simple and easy one, but people probably won't do it. No clocks or phones in your room. Get rid of it in your bedroom. Because the worst thing you could do is when you wake up and look at the clock. It's the absolute worst thing you could do because now your brain is calculating how many hours left before the alarm will go off. And you've gone into this high beta state. Now you're just thinking about, well, I only have X amount or I couldn't blank amount. So I don't know how many people have alarm clocks anymore. It's usually your phone, right? But turn the dang clock around so you can't see it. Physically tell yourself, no matter what, if I wake up, I'm not looking at the time. It will help you tremendously. But put your phone in another room, put it in the closet, put it somewhere else so you don't have to worry about it. I don't like the Wi-Fi signals and all the Bluetooth stuff anyway, so I put it in another room, which also makes you get out of bed when your alarm goes off. How many of us love to snooze? Air filters, having really good high quality air in your bedroom is very important. Blackout, 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 blackout curtains, no night lights. Salt lamps are okay. That's a different frequency of light, but everything else, keep it as dark as humanly possible. Even a small tinge of light will activate your eye and activate you into the daytime. No night lights, as black as you can possibly get. If you have to get up at night, try not to turn on the lights as well because it only takes a small fraction of a section for the brain to get going. Oh, get your light within 30 minutes of waking. So go outside, get some light within 30 minutes. It doesn't take a long time, but it will start that day-night cycle. All the stuff, that light that gets into your eyeballs in there will start activating all the hormonal cascades and all the neurotransmitters that you need to be awake and alert. So within 30 minutes of waking, get your light. We already talked about sleeping below 68 degrees. I love my organic mattress and pillow. We spend a good portion of our life, at least a third, right? If we're talking seven, seven to eight hours every day, That means a third of our life is on that bed. Invest in a good mattress. I have a rubber latex. It's Talalay rubber mattress. It's all natural. It's organic. It doesn't have all the flame retardants in it and all the chemicals and off-gassing some of those memory foams can have or some of those coil springs. Really healthy 
And I have a latex. It's very squishy too. So it holds very well. So my pillows like that too. It weighs a lot, but it's a really, really good pillow. We talked about weighted blankets. Those are good. There's even cool sheets now that you can plug in your sheets and have cool sheets. But like I said, the wearable tech is really important for tracking your sleep. Those are kind of things that I think are really the important ones. Yeah, a lot of stuff that people can do. What do you suggest? Should they go out and listen to this and create an Amazon shopping list and just go out and get all of them? Is there one place they should start over the others? Or how should someone approach that process? I think tracking your sleep is important. If you're going to work on it, you got to track it. Just like an entrepreneur or business. What's not measured and tracked does not improve. So if you're looking to improve, and if you don't want to track it with a wearable tech, then track it with paper. So if you take all these things and you say, well, if I can start my habit, start by starting. That's my number one thing. Just start. Start with one. Start with one thing and track and measure. Is my sleep getting better intuitively? I think it's really important. I invest in my health. It's the number one thing, right? We're only on this planet for so long, so we should live vibrantly. That's my goal. That's why we know this podcast is out. Vibrant health is for everybody. I like tracking, but all of them, you don't need a red light bulb if you don't want one. They don't cost a lot. They're probably, I think mine was like 20 bucks. And it'll last forever. It's an LED bulb. It's flicker-free. It's an investment. I've used it, right? And so blue-blocking glasses, it's an investment, but it helps. It helps. So all these things will be additive. But the, the low or no-cost stuff is simple. So we're not asking people to invest in all this stuff, but if they want to, go for it. But like no food, no drinks two hours before, calming teas, getting rid of screen time, blackout, you know, your room, putting your phone away, listening to some music, calming yourself down and being intentional with it. The thing is, is this is an easy thing to say. It's easy to say, let's get our quality sleep in. But then the fact of the matter is our routine or our familiar self will come back and it'll do all those things. It's being intentional with it. Everything counts with consistency. So it's like, if you do this consistently, 80% of the time, you have this sleep habits that are become habits. It takes 21 days to create a habit. So try it for three weeks and see if it works for you. If it doesn't work, adjust it. But all this stuff is time tested. These are things that make sense. I think that's the number one thing that made it better for me is I started tracking it more heavily. I really wanted to know the factors that were improving or not improving my sleep. And so I did it. I was like, all right, no food, no drink, which I intermittent fast anyway. So it's kind of like, well, if I eat within an eight hour window anyway, and if you're digesting your food, you're not resting because your body's doing something. And so I monitor, I do the simple stuff. If I don't hit a meditation or music before I go to bed one night, I'm not going to kill myself. We're perfectly imperfect humans, right? But I think from an accountability perspective, if it happens one night, just make sure that you tell yourself it's not going to happen two nights in a row. Like, all right, I went to bed late. It's NCAA. I was watching basketball last night. I'm a UConn fan. That's who I am. We made it through the first week. I'm excited. Some of that I know I'm going to not get the best sleep. My sleep score was like 78 this morning when generally it's like 85, 89. That's where I like to be. But I stayed up late. I was watching TV. Didn't want I think I put my glasses on a little late and I was excited. I wasn't in that restful state when I went to bed. And so my sleep score wasn't great, but it's consistency. So start by starting. Consistency matters. Try the free stuff first and then add as you go. I think that's the point of health and wellness is 
these things become routine. Let's just say they become not addictive, but like you want to do more. You're like, oh, I did that. It worked. Let's do something else. If you are taking sleep meds, well, ask yourself, am I doing all those other things that we talked about? Or am I just taking the pill thinking it's all going to work and ignoring all that other stuff? It's the opposite effect. It's like this podcast is about what can we do beyond the pill that can help. And so I hope this has been helpful for people to help with that. I think we can probably find a link to put the sleep assessment in there for people and really just getting people to understand, get that seven, eight must have quality sleep. Yeah. I think that people are waking up exercise, obviously to your health. Okay. Nutrition. Okay. You know, and then I think sleep is that next layer, right? And people are hopefully waking up, hopefully soon enough, right? No pun intended to the positive impacts of this. Josh, any last words on sleep before we wrap up and get out of here? Make it a non-negotiable in your health. If you want to live longer, better, and this is why you're listening to this podcast, one of those reasons is get vibrant health is make sleep non-negotiable. Don't wear it as a badge of honor, the lack of sleep or the sleep you don't need. Just shift, change, tell yourself change, change that philosophy and see what happens. That's the point is we're all on this journey of our own health discovery. See how it affects you. See how it affects your mood. See how it affects your energy levels. If you can just shift and make these incremental changes and be consistent with it. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. Josh, thank you so much for this. It was incredibly valuable. And I know our listeners are going to think the same. We'd encourage you guys to go get connected with Josh on LinkedIn and Facebook. Also, you can check out Beyond the Pills on TikTok as well. We'd love a rating or review wherever you guys get your podcasts. And if there's someone else out there who wants to go Beyond the Pills, send them this episode and let's do it together. Thanks as always for being with us, guys. We'll see you on the next one. Stay well. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Pills podcast. You can find Josh on LinkedIn and Facebook at Josh Rimini and on TikTok at Beyond the Pills. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be forever grateful if you left a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know somebody who wants to go beyond the pills, send them this episode. If you've got any specific questions or ideas for future episodes, reach out to Josh and send him a message. Thanks again for being a part of the Beyond the Pills community. We'll see you next time. 